This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Which was called Yafet There's some discrepancies on who was oldest but we're going to go in this order Yafet, Shem and Ham Noah Did you have a daughter? I think her name was Penelope Just kidding um, I, don't, I don't know anything about Noah's daughter, but there might be an oral tradition about a daughter. Um, they all had wives, so there was no problem co-creating. Okay. They were all married. This is before the flood, before the humanicide, and they, they were still, each one had a wife. Noah had a wife. Anyone know Noah's wife's name? Susan. Susan. <laughs> no, her, her name was Nami. Nami. Okay, so Yafet, the oldest, is from the word Yofi. Why are we bringing this down? Is because after the flood, these will be, they're the players in humanity. Meaning these are the, these three people, Yafet, Shem, and Ham, are going to repopulate the world. This is it. This is where we, this is what we're dealing with today. So, Yafet means, uh, means beautiful, Yofi. Right, you guys know the word Yofi? But it's specifically external beauty. It's not a deeper beauty like Hain or something like that. Bihie. <coughs> Thanks. Who's helping me over there with spelling? That's Moshe? I'm sorry. Thank, no, I appreciate it. It's great. Uh, so it's external beauty. That's Yafet. He's very into the physical and externals. Okay. Then Shem is the next one. What's Shem mean? Shem? Name. And name means meaning. When you give a name to something, you're expressing meaning. Like, this is a pen. I take the pen away, it's still meaningful. If I say pen, you can envision a pen. And then there's the names of concepts. When, you, when there's a concept in your mind, you've named that concept. It's the meaning orientation of Semitic people, Shemitic people. He's the father of the Shemites. Okay? I don't know if you guys knew there was that Shem and Semite are, that's where it's from. So this is the meaning oriented people. Whatever. Uh, just because. But they, yeah, the other people who lived in this area or live in this area are also Semitic. Okay. Um, and then last is Ham. What's Ham mean? Hot. And this is instinctual Aboriginal style people. Instinctual people. How does Hot translate into instinctual? I'll let you think about that for a few minutes, okay? Now, the... So, but that's the answer. So, anyway, but these three will repopulate the world. Well, the Torah doesn't leave it a mystery on how they repopulate the world. If you're using the fat books, save your place, and go to the way back, you'll see a table of their descendants. If you look, if you're in the blue books, the thinner ones, on page 47, you'll see... Where these three, these are the fathers of the 70 nations of the world. You'll see where these three wound up. So Yafet, you'll notice some names there. You're going to see that Yafet is the father of Europe. You got Magog there, yeah, which is going to have something to do with the Armageddon battles. That's how we know it'll have something to do with Western civilization will be the final wars, the Armageddon battles. So Magog's right there. Um, you might notice number four. They have key players. Number four is probably the biggest of all the players in Yafet, and that is Yavan. Who knows what Yavan is? Greece. 
Even today, modern Hebrew, Yavan, the Greek islands are called Yavan. So Yavan is obviously a key player there. Um, you'll notice, look at number eight. What's number eight? Ashkenaz. Sounds familiar? If you're in the thin blue ones, you're on page 47. If you're in the big fat ones, it's in the back of the book. There are tables back there, and you'll look for the table very back. You'll, yeah, there you go. You'll find, uh, you'll find probably before that. You'll, yeah, before that. That's after. That's before. So, yeah. So, you, you found it already? 70 nations? Keep going, keep going. Until you find a chart. This isn't just the nations that came out. Is this like the chronological first order? That I don't know. So, anyway, but you notice Ashkenaz there. What's Ashkenaz? White boys, okay? That's, uh, that's uh, Germany. You know, the, the Aryans. That's uh, actually Aryans, more Iran. But the... But it's the um, Germany area, German France, that region. Okay? So, who is Yafet the father of? Byron, who's Yafet the father of? Western civilization. He's the father of the West. Okay? So, ultimately, even us being raised, if you're understanding my English, that means you're raised in the West. So, us Westerners have all been being hosted, even though we're going to see that we're from Shem, we've been being hosted by Yafet. Any Sephardim in the room? One Sephardi person in this whole room? Justin, Matt, it's going like this. Is there, are you guys feeling okay? Just kidding. Uh, Jorge, are you from an Ashkenazic background or a Sephardi? <laughs> Ashkenazi? Okay. So, anyway, we've been hanging out in their world. So if you're feeling a little disconnected from Judaism, have you ever noticed you have, there's a tension when it comes to Judaism? It's like not natural. You feel like, uh, you feel like you're being like told what to do a little too much. Too many obligations. You ever felt that way? Absolutely. So that's because that's you've been, we've been transgenerationally raised in Yafet's world. So we're transgenerationally raised in the world of Yafet, so now that we're like trying to like try on Judaism, it's way too much obligation. It's way too much morality. It's like tr- it's like putting your moral voice on steroids. You know, meaning Yafet. It's not that Yafet has no moral voice. It's quite an arbitrary moral voice. It's whatever the public opinion is that twenty-year span. But they do have a moral voice. Every human being has a moral voice. But it, but when you, Judaism puts that moral voice on steroids, it takes away the relativity of it, of you know, the 20-year morality shifts. Um, Judaism has one criteria for all of history, and it's pretty heavy-duty, and, it's, and, it's, and it rings true, though scary. Rings true, though I feel conflicted with it. That's us being raised in the world of Yafet. Sephardim, go meet a Sephardi Jew. He has no problem with the obligations of Judaism. He may not do them, but he doesn't have like this inner conflict with it. You understand? Your cab drivers here. You, anyone been in a cab yet? Those guys, they, you probably think they're second, but they wrap to fill in in the morning. They go to synagogue. You know, they, they, a lot of them even keep, try to keep a lot of Shabbos and stuff. But there's all kinds of stuff they're not doing. They don't know the details, but they don't have any problem with it. <coughs> they say they're lazy. 
Whereas we are, we have conflict with even, even the idea that anyone would curtail my freedom to tell me that I have to do this. You know, get lost. So that's Yafet. Yafet's not interested in that moral voice compared to the the call of the out externals, the call of fashion, the call of uh, technology, the call of anything ex- anything that's building society is going to be at odds. Anything other than that will be at odds with Yafet. Now, there of course every human being has a moral voice, but. You'll see generally, uh, maybe this is the best way to encapsulate Yafet, is that their moral voice is based on behavior. (laughs) Meaning they actually, they see what behavior they do, and then they create the morality around it. Is that the right order of things? Is there a morality and then you base your behavior on it, or do you have your behavior and then you base the morality on it? Think about it. Think about the U.S. opinion on what's right and wrong you'll see that it goes directly according to what everyone's behavior is. If the behavior is like this now, that's what's right. How dare you say it wrong, and it's un-American to say this is wrong. You understand what I mean? Whereas any intellectual knows that you can't base a morality on the current behavior. And this, by the way, is one of the proofs that there has to be a real morality. There has to be a standard that's a real God-given standard because otherwise none of this makes sense. Because no one would create a morality that defied your behavior. It would have to be God-given. Otherwise, you, meaning the reason why Western civilization creates morality after they first see what the behavior is is because there is no other way unless you believe in a God-given morality. What are you going to do? Create a morality that's outside your behavior? then everyone feels guilty all day. No one's going to do such a thing. It would be insane. So they create the morality based on their behavior. And of course, that shifts every once in a while. And once in a while, some abortionist gets his head blown off, you know, once in a while. But they'll get, they'll get over that. And the... logical person knows that if I have a moral voice so what the right and the wrong is, what is the morality obviously must precede my behavior I'm not going to base wrong and right on my current behavior (laughs) and I know I have that moral voice inside every human being knows they have a moral voice they have a, it's called a conscience. Everyone knows they have that. So we all know there's right and wrong. It's just that what is right and what is wrong should not be based on what I'm currently doing. Well, then what do I base it on? How am I supposed to base it? Certainly not going to base it on what I'm not doing because I can't live with that. So the only possibility left would be God-given morality. Unless it's just a societally societal inflicted morality inflicted morality but if it's a societal inflicted morality then the society and the supreme court of that society will just change the rules which is the way western society works is they just change the laws based on votes once society's ready to to um, legitimize there's probably a better word for that any current behavior here where we're at what we're, what we're talking about until it comes to the point where people, where society will vote 
on whether to even, you know, like a classic example is uh, gay marriage today. Like, I understand it has to do with money and stuff, and I guess you get more, I don't know, you, some, I'm not good at this stuff, but somehow the government gives you more money if you're married? Or why, why is it even, does anyone know why it came to the question of whether gay marriage is okay or not okay? Does it have to do with money or something? Partially, but it's, the biggest reason, from my perspective, the biggest reason is legitimizing their lifestyle. Just saying, you know, if you say it's a civil union, then it's still, in other people's minds, it's not the same as a marriage. And so if you call it a marriage, then you're giving legitimacy to, to their lifestyle. I understand, but why, that I understand, but I knew that. So My question is, why has this come to the courts? Why are the courts voting? Why are, pe- why are people voting? There are about a thousand rights that only get, that only straight couples get. There's only what? About a thousand rights you get for marriage. Yeah. That, like, a thousand for, rights you get for marriage. Like, like in the whole different things, like tax um, breaks, insurance. So there's all kinds of reasons they want to be. Once one dies. of the couple were to be in the hospital, the other one um, would have, depending on what, how, how severe it was, would have a hard time visiting. Right, I mean, those are all issues, but that's not getting to the core of it. That, those <laughs> hard are time visiting. <laughs> those are the issues, <laughs> you can have all the benefits. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to say something to do with benefits and the, the hard time visiting. Yeah. So, wait, <laughs> listen up, one sec. One sec. <laughs> Trust me, I was classic. Um, but I could hear what you're saying. You know, I, you know, this is my husband in there. You know, listen, listen. Um, the point is, is that once it hits the courts, you're talking about more. What Byron was saying was now society starts to sanction this as right or wrong, making you, if you hold by some other system. Antiquated, racist, bigoted, every kind of issue, every kind of name. You're you're the scourge of society. What's the matter with you? Are you backwards? You know, that's what happens. And uh, and the other one, a classic example is pedophilia. Pedophilia is um, today is considered really bad. But check out check out the um, society. Go to the library and like microfish magazines and stuff from 50 years ago. Exactly how they treat pedophilia today is exactly how homosexuals were treated in the 50s. So, yeah. So who knows what pedophilia will be at 50 years? And consenting child, consenting child. That's the way it was in Greece. The child consented. It was part of the society built in. Who says a child can't c- consent? The only people who say a child can't consent is probably the Christian right. Wasn't that okay back in the day, like the 1800s or something? Yeah. It was okay in the 1800s already? Even? Yeah. That I didn't know about. I know it was the big deal in the Greek world. It was very big. Uh, another great example straight from the Greek world is uh, infanticide. Everyone knows, right? Do you, Byron, would you agree? Would you guys all agree? Raise your hand if you feel infanticide is is fine. If you don't want the baby, knock it off. Or infanticide is wrong. Raise your hand if you just feel it's wrong. Infanticide is killing a like aborting post birth, after born, after birth abortion. Raise your hand if after birth abortion is wrong. Okay, raise your hand if you're okay with after after birth abortion if the parents don't want it. Oh, you're hardcore, man. So, <laughs> okay, guess what Obama voted? What? Obama's okay with that. In fact, he'll be probably putting it in. 
So eventually, yeah, after birth abortion, yeah, he's one of four people in all of what was he a congressman or a rep- what was he? What was he before he was? He was a senator. Senator, he was one of four senators who voted for post birth abortion. I mean, that's radical. That's straight out of the Greek world. Post birth abortion. If the parents don't want the child, and. Oh, no, you know what it is? I know what it is. I know what it is. No, no, you know what it is? Oh, man, what is it? No, no, it's. Uh, it's something to do with, uh, I think it's failed abortion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, failed abortion, the child made it. Yeah. And that was in the era of the world and totally a viable infant. That's what it's not post birth. Yeah, it's not post birth. We're not on that level yet. But that was actually a bill to help protect against babies of failed abortion. Protect babies of failed abortion? You protect them by killing them? Well, that's the idea, but... Uh, Put them out of their misery. Well, no, but the uh, idea was... Wait, you guys, Ben has the floor. The four senators that voted against that, though, the reason that they voted against it was uh, because there are already laws to protect against that. There are laws against murder. But uh, because once that uh, baby is outside the womb, it is uh, considered... So, I mean, because the, they said that the reasons they voted against it were not because... They were uh, they supported postnatal abortion, but because that's just called postnatal. Go on, yeah. Because, but because they uh, because there are already laws protecting against it, and it's a meaningless piece of legislation. Uh, given that. So why did Obama vote for it? Uh, like I said, because that was a meaningless piece of legislation, because it was uh, because there are already laws that exist to uh, protect against that. You sound like a pro Obama guy. Uh, I mean, I don't care. You just sound like a pro Obama guy to me. The man votes for failed abortions. He votes for that. I wouldn't whitewash it. And you know what? That's his opinion. Who's to say he's wrong? I'm not... I, I would judge him from a Torah perspective, but he doesn't live a Torah perspective. Okay, listen up. Listen up. There's something called... I learned this from Rabbi Berger. I hope it didn't kill me for using it in your class here two hours before he begins. But there's something called painting... Painting targets around arrows. You guys ever heard of painting targets around arrows? Yeah, what? So, anyway, I'll just give the analogy quickly. A king is walking through the forest and with his troops, and he sees that there's many trees with bullseyes on it, and the arrows right in the center of every bullseye. And he's like, "Men, spread out. We got to find this archer." He's got to be the best archer I've ever seen. Always a bullseye. So they finally find the guy and he asks him, what is it? What's your secret? Will you train my men? He says, yeah, it's simple. I just take my arrow, I shoot it right into the tree, then I take my paintbrush and I paint it right around the arrow. (laughs) That's behavior-based morality. Where this is what I did, now I'll paint the target around it and say it's okay. Understand? It's behavior based. Anyway, this is all the world of Yuffet. Let's get back to our friends. So, that was like a very detailed version of Yuffet. Now, again, Yuffet means, Yofi means external beauty. That's what they're mainly into. Okay, okay, Hitler made war in the end against 
the conscience. Like in the end of Yuffin, and we're not at the end of Yuffin, as long as there's Western Civ is Yuffin. But like Hitler made war on it. Uh, I'm not going to say some controversial things, but there's other religions that also made war on, on uh, the conscience. Uh, meaning allowing another to be a sacrifice for your behavior. So now you don't have to worry about your conscience. Okay, I'm not going to mention any names here. So, but it's all, it's all part of the war against the conscience. And the, but Yuffet will always be at war against the conscience. Darwin came in, you know, again, against the war against conscience. You're just, you're from algae, man. So just relax on this moral voice of yours. You're, you're from algae. There is no God, you know. Science tried to supplant the conscience. And and today we have medication for the conscience, meaning because we live in such a Greek world now, it's all like if it feels good, do it. You know, physicality, breast implants, facelifts and tans, and it's all so external. So what happens is you get all this negative feeling. Whenever you try to ignore your moral voice, every human being has a moral voice. When you try to ignore it, you get very negative feelings. You guys know what I'm talking about. You make a mistake in your choices, you feel terrible. And But the thing is, when you live in a society that's constantly getting you to do whatever feels good, you feel terrible all the time until the next good thing you do that feels good. So what happens after a while is you get something called the law of diminishing returns. It's an economic law that no matter how many things you do that feels good, you, what happens is it stops, it it starts losing its effect. Meaning when you get that negative feeling for having betrayed your own kind of covenant with yourself, your moral voice, your conscience, after enough times of betraying that voice, well, every time you betray that voice, you do something else that feels good. But what happens is you get set, there's something called the law of diminishing returns where it doesn't feel so good anymore. So now I don't know what to do because I'm, I'm, I'm feeling guilty. And the stuff I do that makes me feel better isn't working. And that's why most people use, start self-medicating. And they go to more n- mind-numbing things or disassociatives or things that just kind of disassociate you a bit. And today it's often prescribed. Uh, and that's the way. But this is this generation's way of dealing with the conscience. Hitler in the... In the 30s and 40s, we had Hitler. Uh, for about 1,800 years, we had that religion I mentioned. We had um, we had uh, Darwin. For you know, we had the scientists. We, there's been a whole history of how to deal with that voice today, um, because of it. Probably has something to do with the internet and uh, the information age has given the marketers for for the stuff that feels good. If they've got so much power now that they can just like, you know, it's not just internet, it's everything, it's film, it's the advent of film and the whole medium of screen, screen media. Every, the whole advent of the screen, whether it's television, internet, or films, has given the power to the, to the retailer, to the manufacturer, to the, you know, they're marketing us big time on what feels good. And we're, it's such an onslaught. Unless you're filtering what you get, i.e. getting rid of media, unless you're getting rid of media except for that media you choose to allow in, like a DVD player where I'm going to watch this movie. But if you're just allowing yourself full um, onslaught. onslaught, susceptibility, there's a better word for this. Um, but if you're allowing yourself full, you know, no filter, you're just like, 
who am I to filter? I'm a Westerner. You know, like, let all the information... Let what? Let all the info in. So then, um, so then it's almost impossible to win the war. And so a lot of negative, because they're, they're trying to get us to do what feels good. And as opposed to doing what's right, you understand? <laughs> these are all, this is the fight is do what's right versus what feels good is often the fight. You understand? Doing what's right versus what feels good. By the way, I just want to mention to you that have you ever noticed that when you have that fight between what I feel like doing versus what I should be doing, you know, what's right versus what feels good, have you ever noticed that when you actually win the war and you do what's right, like maybe coming to Israel, any of you had a bit of a war whether you should come to Israel or not? You know, should I come to learn Torah in Israel? You had a bit of a war on that? Anyone have a war on that getting out of bed this morning? Like... Anyone have a bit of a war getting out of bed? And should I do what feels good, i.e. stay in bed, or should I get up and do what's right? So have you ever noticed, though, all of us have had this battle, when you do what's right, how do you feel? I feel amazing. Right, that's the right word. People say good. You don't feel good. You feel amazing. When you do what's right, you feel amazing. No, but you did what's right. Whenever you do what's right, it doesn't really matter what the outcome was. You did what's right. That feels amazing. No, but it's not outcome related. It's it's that I I won this battle. T- today I won. I at least won one of my battles today. But when you win a battle, it feels amazing. It may wear off. Twenty minutes later. And the next battle begins. Next battle begins. But what are the chances of you winning the next battle if you won the first battle? Pretty high. Pretty high. What are the chances of winning a battle when you lost the first battle? Pretty low. Pretty low. It's amazing. And this, by the way, our, our sages say that a mitzvah brings a mitzvah and a, 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 a transgression brings a transgression. Why? Because if you, do, if you win the battle and you get the mitzvah, well, you've already got that reinforcement of the good feeling the mitzvah gave you. And you, now another battle came and you're like, why don't I just stick with what feels good? I know we all have destructive voice in our head. One second, let me just flesh this out. Why don't I just keep going with what feels good? When, you, when I do something wrong, think about this. When you do something wrong, you get that nasty voice inside saying, you are good for nothing, no good, whatever piece of. And so now that voice also says, well, since you did that, you know what else you, can, you might as well just go do? Right? Don't we get another voice saying like, you know, once you're already doing that, so that's who you are now. So since that's who you are, then you're capable of this, that, and the other. And it can become this tremendous downhill spiral. You guys know what I'm talking about? Downward spirals? Where you did that, so you might as well go do that. You might as well go do that. You might as well go do that. You know? <laughs> but it's insane. It's just a voice in our head. It's insane. Can you imagine, like, you, you're driving your car into a parking lot, and you, like, accidentally, like, bash into the side of a guy's car, and you're like, if I already did that, you know... You know, can you imagine? <laughs> They're like, someone's gone insane in our parking lot, you know. They finally, you know, the police finally like, you know, taser the guy, you know, at like five miles per hour, you know, until he smashed into the next car. <laughs> you know, and they... Uh, <laughs> they're like, you know, they're interviewing him now in the police department. They're like, what's going on here? He's like, after I hit the first car already, you know, what's the difference, you know? What's the difference anymore? <laughs> Isn't that what we do, though? 
That's us. Just smashing into every car because we smashed into one. One second. Let, <laughs> we just need to pause on that for a second. Yes. Sure, that was a cool visual. I, I've never actually used that one before. <laughs> it's an interesting idea. <laughs> By the way, there are people who do that. That's the high-speed chase. That is probably the guts of a high-speed chase. It's like I've already, I'm so far gone now that I might as well just go in one burning ball of flames. You know? Let's make this a good one. You know? They should really make a film of the greatest high-speed chase. They're, they're a blast to watch. <laughs> oh, do they? A compendium of all the high-speed <laughs> Have you guys seen the one where the guy, the guy actually, like, I guess his car finally dies and he gets out and starts running and the cop car just runs, up, like, runs right into him? You haven't seen that one? So the, it's a great one. So the cop, the cop just decides to, like, ram him. The guy... And the guy just goes, it's like, boom, and the guy goes flying. And he gets back up and runs. <laughs> he gets back up and runs after getting smashed by a police car. And, uh, and then the, it's all helicopter films, and you watch them going through the forest, and then in the last second he turns around and just goes busted. So, anyway, Chaim? Yeah, that's really... Oh, David. Let Chaim uh, somewhere about the car smashing. He raises him, and then I'll go back to David. Yeah. That's really it really sounds that stupid. And why does everyone like? Why doesn't it sound stupid in our own head when we do that the other way? Oh man, that's a great question, Chaim. You know, when you turn 120, you can go ask God, okay? Because He created us this way. This is the way it is. And now you understand what Chuva is. What's Chuva? Stopping the cycle. Chuva's like, I refuse. To keep smashing into the cars, I want to get off the off that. I don't. I want to get out of that that loop. Chuba's getting out of the loop. With four steps, I stop doing whatever I'm doing in the loop. Two is I say to God with words. It's a whole Kabbalistic thing with words. The whole world's created with words, and and now that you did something wrong, it was with words that it was done because everything's made of words, really Kabbalistically. So. I say with words what I did to pull out what I did from the dark side. Third is I express regret. That's where the tears would start coming. You know, express regret. It wasn't worth it. If I had the clarity now of what it did to me, what it, how it tarnished my own self, self-esteem and hurt others maybe, or whatever it did, had I known it was going there, I would never have done it. I really regret that. And then the fourth step is just committing to the future of not going there again. Commit to the future, not going there again. Even though you may, you don't know what's going to come in two, three weeks, but at least till you get there in two, three weeks, you're clean. And by the way, what are the chances of you doing better in the next two, three weeks, having done that process, compared to not doing that process? You understand that the likelihood of you getting your act together is much more if you do the chuba process when you've done something wrong. Smart people do it every night before they go to bed go through their day, what did I do wrong? They do the four steps. Say, okay, you may blow it the next day. But until you blew it, you're feeling that feeling of connectedness. It's a famous line of, if you're feeling far from God, it wasn't God who moved. You know what I mean? Feeling far from God, it wasn't God who moved. It's, it's I who moved. And when I've moved, and I'm feeling that kind of void that's that distance that like 
You know, your only link to the spiritual realm is your soul. That's your fiber optic link. When I've transgressed it, I feel very deep distance. I feel a void. I feel a, a hole in my system. And I don't like that feeling, and it leads to other behaviors. So what I do to reconnect my fiber optic link is those four steps. They're very simple steps, and they just simply work. God created those steps before he created man, because there was no way man wouldn't make mistakes. So those four steps are a reality. Even though you may blow it in three weeks, you may blow it the next day. But until then, you must have an ability to rebuild yourself. It's basically like this. If a bomb goes off from, if a missile goes from Iraq to Iran, just a random example. If a a missile goes off from Iraq to Iran, and now can a mathematician tell you where it came from at any point? Yeah? Yes, they can. And can a mathematician tell you where it's going at any point? Sure. It's very clear where that bomb's going. It's not, you don't need to be a genius to know. However, today they have smart bombs. Where it goes up, yeah, and then they can actually change its direction. Now, at this point, do you know where it came from? If you only saw it there, you have no idea where it came from, you know where it's going? You also don't know where it's going. You don't know its trajectory, you don't know any of those things. That's teshuva. That's teshuva. It's changing the trajectory of your life. I no longer know where you came from, and I don't know where you're going. Because you've changed your trajectory, and it really works. Really works. I could take you on a tour of Jerusalem or any other city of all the people who got involved in Teshuvah and you see they have changed the trajectory of their lives. They are different human beings. It's hard to see where they even came from or where they're going. Of course, wherever they came from that's good, they embraced. But where they came from, that was that circle, that's that loop of, of, of destructive emotional behavior, destructive emotions and destructive behavior. They've changed their trajectory. And God put that in the creation. So we don't when you when you do something wrong, you do you just do chuva and get back to that nice feeling of connectedness to the Creator. Connection to God is the natural state. It's our natural state. But the problem, as we said before, is we've been brainwashed. We have been living in the world of Yafet. Sfardim have not. Sephardim have spent the last 2,000 years living amongst Semites. Yishmael, who is Abraham's firstborn, is the father of the Arab nomadic pagan tribes who eventually took on Islam. The Sephardic Jewry have lived amongst Semites, amongst Shemites. And they don't have this same issue. Of course, they have their own guilt of the, whatever they're dealing with, but it's not the conflict that a Western... They don't feel disconnected from God. What's Chum? Chum is the... Uh, we'll get there in a sec. David, question? Um, you were, do you remember what you were going to say? Uh, uh, oh, saying it's right. I didn't say it leads you to be happy in the end at all. Like you feel happy then. But that's presuming that you know what's right No, even if the the some culture has some crazy backwards morality that they've put in place, you will feel good when you do that, and you will feel bad when you don't. If the only law in that country is don't jaywalk. 
or do jaywalk and don't wait for lights. You will feel good when you jaywalk and you will feel bad when you don't. And they, you understand, right and wrong is built into every human being. What is right and what is wrong is not built in. Unless, you know, that is an external factor. So, Western civilization bases that external factor on what's the current behavior. Judaism, do you think Judaism claims that we know what right and wrong is? No, we also agree. I don't know what right and wrong is, I just know my heart has this feeling like some stuff's right and some stuff's wrong. I don't know what it is. We have an external factor called Torah, which you guys yourselves have to verify whether you call that real or not, you know. But we have an external factor called Torah, which I now take like a transparency, overhead projector transparency, that I now overlay on every situation to see if it's right or wrong. But I feel better about myself when I choose what's right. You respect the people that it doesn't matter what the rules are it's they can be totally arbitrary rules you know the rules in New Guinea versus the rules in Norway are going to be very different rules it doesn't matter what they are if you were raised conditioned that that's right and that's wrong you will feel good what's that? what about patriotism? It doesn't matter whether it's patriotism or he was born on an island with his parents and his parents taught him. This we do. This we do not do. We do not throw coconuts at our brother's head. Okay? And then you throw a coconut on your brother's head. You will feel that gap. You will feel that void when you throw the coconut on your brother's head. And if you hold that coconut and you're about to throw it on your brother's head and you do not throw it on your brother's head you feel really good for that moment and for probably the next time you have another test of we, you know, whatever we we do, we take off our shoes when we wade in the seashore you know, because your parents are tired of your soaking wet shoes on that desert island so, and when you listen chances are you're more likely to listen to that having not thrown a coconut into it. Am I understood and agreed with... Uh, raise your hand if I'm understood on this subject and agreed with. I just want to know if David's... Not, I'm not trying to single you out. I just, I'm enjoying this, actually. Raise your hands so we can just see if I'm understood and agreed with that we feel better when we do the... No, really, to raise your hands. I want to see if I'm crazy here. <laughs> this is that I'm understood and agreed with that these are what go on inside us when we deal with choice. Okay. Now, I just want to check. I, I don't know if he's your voice or he's his own voice on this subject. How am I supposed to know? If You understand, David? I don't know if this is just you or this oh, yeah, is the, yeah, or I'm just off and no one gets me anymore. I just don't buy it. Okay. You, you don't have to buy it just because everyone else buys it. Okay. So, okay, great. Now, um, the last one, so the last son is Chav. And Chav means instinct, and let's look at him on the... Oh, wait, we forgot. Yeah, Ham's in the middle there. So there you see Kush. You know what Kush is? Kush is Ethiopia. Yeah? Kush is Africa. Ethiopia. Ethiopia to fall for him. Okay, that's Ethiopia. Mitzrayim, who knows what Mitzrayim is? 
Egypt, North Africa. You see, these are all Africans. Okay? Canaan, number 18, Canaan. Who's Canaan? Canaanites? That's this region here. Very good. So this region was also part of that whole North African deal. The Canaanites were hardcore, hardcore sexually depraved people. You guys know that? These people were hardcore, no dignity. No dignity at all. Do you know what how they do you know how they serve the god of the Canaanite god? You know what they would do? You defecate on it. Publicly. The ultimate lack of dignity. You def it was defecating on the on the god. They once set up the god in the bushes and the and near where the rabbis go to the bathroom and a rabbi, a rabbi had come up from Babylonia and didn't know that uh, how they serve the god here so he saw one of their gods he says oh, I'm going to drop one right on it you know? <laughs> so, so he squats and drops one right on the god and, and, the, uh, and they all come out of the bushes going perfect direct hit you know? and he's like oh no <laughs> so Anyway, but that's how they serve the God. And so, so the God, not to mention all the other issues of bestiality and every other kind of thing. That Anyway, the Canaanites were crazy. In fact, the Torah itself says that when God was bringing us in the land, did you guys know that the Jews in the desert were like really stubborn? We were like really getting God angry all the time for being boneheads during the 40 years. So, God, you know what God says? It's like a bit of an insult to the Jewish people, but it says... I'm not bringing you into land because you're so holy. You guys have been a bunch of jerks for the last 40 years. I'm bringing you into land for two reasons and two reasons alone. One, I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What am I supposed to do? It's a promise. Two, is the, the meter, it's like a meter, the meter of disgusting behavior of the Canaanites. And he's disgusting sexually mostly, not to mention going number two on their God. But um, the, the Canaanites... The meter of disgust is so high on the Canaanites that they just can't be there anymore. They, they, they have re their whole connection to the land has been released. It's been severed. So they're finished. So it, got, it actually says in the Torah that it's not because your guys are so special. It's because I promised the forefathers and the Canaanites just got to go. Okay. Um, one sec. Let's just get through. So those are all the ites. Those are the main ites. And then the last but not least are Shem. And Shem, it just goes through all the names of, uh, of just until you get to uh, whatever. It doesn't mention it, but eventually it goes. If you go through our Pachshad and Sheila and Ever and Peleg. So it doesn't carry on Peleg. You see 56 is Peleg. But Peleg, it will be like the great, great, great grandfather of Abraham. Okay, Peleg, Ru, Sarug, Nahor, Terah, Abraham. Okay, so it's five, five more generations after Peleg is Abraham. That's the Semites, and Semites are interested in meaning. So what do you see? You see Aboriginal cultures like the Africans and those areas are very, very instinctual type people. You will see that the Westerners very into external beauty and at war with the conscience. And, you know, painting arrows around, sorry, painting targets around arrows. And you will find Shem, you know, once you go from the, our coast Mediterranean, minus Tel Aviv's culture, obviously, until 
the other side of India, you will find people live very simply and very meaning-oriented lives. They really care more about meaning than, obviously, the aristocrats and the kings live nicely, but the people live in huts. And this is where huts begin, till all the way through the other side of the Euphrates, all the way down to uh, uh, into India, and, and you know, till whatever's on the other side of India, which I don't even know. So, but people over here are meaning-oriented people, right? People go to India to get in touch with the meaning of life, you know, meaning-oriented. You don't go to LA to find the meaning of life. I don't know anyone who went to LA to find the meaning of life. You know? They might have thought they were finding the meaning of life. You know? Some of those people <laughs> went west. You know, you meet all these New Yorkers in LA and people from Chicago. And so maybe I'll find myself in LA. A sorry task. Yeah. Where do Chinese and Native Americans come from? Excellent question. So the the Hamites seem to be um, the the now, our sages say that China is Ham. Um, I did read an LA Times article, or the New York Times, LA Times, I have the article somewhere, um, that they have, the latest archaeological, anthropological, whatever the word would be, findings is that the Chinese actually came from North Africa. That's where they found, I don't know how they do this, but somehow they found them. So, um, so today, modern science believes that Ham, China's Ham. And it's interesting, by the way, because I was taught when I was in Essentials that China was Ham, and I thought that was kind of far out and kind of a stretch, but I was shocked to find, uh, I was actually visiting L.A. when, I think it was L.A. time, because I was visiting L.A. when I got this, when I saw the newspaper article saying that they've discovered the, whatever, bridge of fossil record, I don't know how they do this, but... They figured out that uh, the Chinese came from North Africa, so they would also be Hamites. Uh, I don't know much about China. China is a real enigma to me. I don't know much about it. I know they had the Olympics last year. I, think. I know they sell very dangerous toys for children. <laughs> I know one thing for sure is that doing what's good versus doing what's right versus what makes money which is part of the instinct, right? Inst what are our two base instincts? Survival reproduction. We share it with the animal kingdom. Survival is money. And reproduction is sexuality. Well, the, the Chinese are constantly going after the profit margin at the expense of, of the moral voice, saying, this could kill a child. You know, they, don't, they, don't, they don't get that. Okay, we, We've got a new student here from... Uh, He's the first person to ever make Aliyah from, uh, from Vietnam. Okay, They don't even know what to do with him. He just made Aliyah from Vietnam. He says he couldn't take it anymore. I don't know what about Vietnam. He says there's no concept of doing what's right over profit, if it's possible to profit. And it just made him ill after a while, and he just started getting restless and came here. But we know that when you do what's right, you feel terrific. And when you make those mistakes, it leads to that loop, which leads to smashing every car in the parking lot, proverbially. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.